Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. A lot of companies say they do Scrum. As a subset of Agile, this approach can be beneficial to your team's development process. However, the bad Scrum can rob your team of efficiency, alienate your developers, and destabilize your product over time. In this episode, we're going to discuss several common mistakes in Scrum, especially as it tends to be used with larger Agile processes. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, I have a dishwasher that just keeps acting up, and I'm not sure why that is. It's really getting old. Like during this whole quarantine process, I've had problems with the hot water heater, the laundry, the dishwasher, the cable, the router. I'm trying to think. It seems like there was something else. And it's just like stuff just keeps messing up and it's really starting to wear on me. Other than that, man, I've, uh, I've just been working on my stuff after hours. Like I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm, you know, in a pretty good groove for all my own work and for the day job. And it's going smoothly again, like it was before the quarantine. So doing all right, I guess. So how about you? Mickey in the house. Uh, yeah, I got mouse problems. Um, actually, I should say dead mouse in the house because I caught uh, six mice in traps in the last two days. Just got to say, this is rather annoying. I've had mice in here before. It's like one every now and then I catch in a trap. But uh, it's gotten to a point where, you know, they got into my veggie chips. Huh. You don't get into my veggie chips. You're darn uh, right I don't. And <laughs> <laughs> I love my veggie chips. They got into my veggie chips and uh, into my box of uh, Cliff Bars. And that's just not cool, yo. So uh, my mom actually suggested that I put steel wool in all any like hole in the house and I'm like yeah I don't even like I'm gonna have to go through and I don't know where they're coming in from that's just annoying (sighs) my laptop connected to the internet at Amanda's place but still won't connect to my Wi-Fi here well it'll connect to the Wi-Fi but it'll only go to Facebook and Google all other devices even my work laptop work fine on the Wi-Fi here just my Windows machine and it's it's also back to doing the thing where the battery won't charge and the fan is running at full blast. Um, I, honestly, I'm just done with Windows. I'm fed up with it. You know, this is a high-end gaming laptop. It's not the hardware. Yeah. It's the software. It's the operating system and the drivers. And I'm just, I'm done. I'm like the next machine I get is probably going to be a Mac mini. And then after that, I'll get a MacBook, and I will just, if I need to use windows, I will use a VM. I would rather pay the money for something I know is going to work. Yeah. I thought I did when I bought this high end machine. I mean, you were there when I bought it, you know, the specs on it. I'm just fed up with it. Yeah. I don't know why they can't get their quality process fixed. It's, it really is getting old. Yeah. Now in good news, uh, we had our first in-person service at church this past week. That was exciting. Um, I was scheduled 
to be on one of the cameras, but ended up running around fixing all the tech issues and uh, monitoring the social media. So Amanda took my place on the camera, which was cool. She enjoyed it. Uh, she was going to be up there shadowing me uh, since I've been doing the camera stuff throughout the whole live stream, like through the whole ordeal. But uh, no, she she jumped right in, did an amazing job. So that said, let's uh, hop on into book club and talk about qualities of a team player. The ninth quality of a team player is enthusiastic. Quote from the book is, your heart is the source of energy for the team. Talking about the enthusiastic team member. Maxwell starts this chapter with something near and dear to my heart. Motorcycles. While I do own a cheaper, more reliable Japanese bike, one day I plan to buy a Harley. They're rather expensive, y'all. I mean, you know. He talks about how the company almost went under after being bought by AMF, but was saved by Harley enthusiasts. Uh, This included executive members of the company who bought it back in the 80s, and they then formed the Harley Owners Group. It's where the term hog originated. Maxwell talks about how the enthusiasm of the executives, the employees, and the customers saved the Harley company. Uh, He then lists out ways to recognize enthusiastic members of a team. First, they don't rely on anyone else for their own enthusiasm. Next, they act before feeling. If you wait to feel like doing anything, you'll never do it. Just ask me about cleaning the house. I never feel like doing it. I just have to. Well, you eventually trip over something, right? (laughs) they also believe in what they do and focus on those positive beliefs finally they surround themselves with other enthusiastic people in order to increase your own enthusiasm maxwell gives three suggestions increase your urgency go the extra mile or do more than you're asked and aim to excel and i'll have a link to this book in the show notes who's talking to us this week uh well nobody uh we <laughs> we're still kind of under the uh the whole Rona mess. We're hoping to kind of replenish our stock of water bottles fairly soon, but we're not sure how soon that's actually going to be. Stuff is still kind of messed up, and you know we also had a lot of spam on the website. We've both just been slammed with other stuff, so we haven't gotten a whole lot of comments. Uh, we will let you guys know when we're kind of back online with that. So if you guys would like a water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media when we do start doing water bottles again. Once we buy some more and get them shipped in, we will start putting those comments up here. Or you could join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Your advertisement could be here. Yeah, I'm still doing those. If you like the show and would like to advertise on here, send us an email to adverts at completedeveloperpodcast.com. We have short-term, long-term, and other sponsorship opportunities. Reach out to us and let us help you reach the people who you are serving. Depending on who you talk to, Scrum is either a standard industry practice, 
a panacea for all that ails development or is a total waste of time taken on by people who want to talk instead of work? Depending on your environment, any or several of these may be true. Scrum is like any other tool. Use it well and in the appropriate context, and it's helpful. Use it poorly or where it doesn't fit, and you will have problems. Many developers have had awful experiences with Scrum. Many of those who haven't end up becoming Scrum masters and providing other people with awful Scrum experiences. But if you are an aspiring Scrum master, or worse yet, you got saddled with the task uh, with no preparation. What do you do so that your conduct as a scrum master doesn't make your team miserable? In this episode, we will discuss just a few of the problems scrum masters face and mistakes to avoid. We've broken them down into three major categories. Problems transitioning, problems with ongoing processes, and problems with reporting. So the first category, problems transitioning. These are problems with moving into a Scrum environment or with like changing your workplace to Scrum. And this could even be with the establishment of a you know, completely new team, for that matter. It's very similar dynamics uh, across the board. So the first problem is trying to do it all at once. Getting all the you know, Scrum processes in place, uh, potentially doing all the agile bits that go around that and making all that stuff work together, that is not something you decide in a morning meeting and have implemented you know, by evening. Yeah, uh, It's going to take quite a while to do that. You're not going to do it in one sitting. It's interesting just how many people think that they can do it that way. You know, They just kind of rush. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, oh, we're going to do these, these brand new processes. Let's change all the things. And nobody seems to do a very good job of understanding what the cost of that kind of broad sweeping change actually is. Like, there's no estimate for that. It's just, it's going to cost what it costs. My first job, I was on the first or second scrum team. Basically, they were doing that and they were doing it one team at a time where they just took that, the total immersion and they sent us all to Scrum Master. And then Scrum developer training eventually. But uh, yeah, it was just this whole like, all right, we're going to completely move to this, which was fine within the development team. But the issues arose with this sort of total immersion when we had to interact with like the operations team because the DBAs were on the operations team. And so they weren't required to come to the Scrum meetings and do the Scrum stuff but we needed them to know what was going on. And then you had, you know, the business side who were used to the old waterfall stuff. And so they're like, they didn't have any concept of what we were doing because they didn't get any training in what was Scrum. And Scrum isn't a thing for them. It's like this group of like five or six people trying to do this thing in a world that was set up for the exact opposite. Yeah, you know, you you kind of almost went off on a tangent that I didn't really think about when I was writing this outline because I was thinking, hey, we're going to move everybody in the company to Scrum and we're still going to expect to keep the same pace. We're just going to change all the processes. Oh, yeah. What you have is different because it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to do partial mm-hmm. and try to switch out pieces like their components and it's not going to work either. The thing about it is, is 
you have to give people time to get used to processes and that takes a while. You know, like every new habit probably takes you three or four weeks to really get down. And if you try to dump a bunch on people, they'll forget half of them. They'll be really inconsistent with them. It just isn't going to stick. And you have to be patient. And that was a mistake I made early on because when I first started, I didn't realize like I came onto a team that had just started doing Scrum. And the lead developer on the team was a huge Scrum proponent. And so when I came on, talking to him and working a lot with him, it felt like, hey, this is what they do. This is the way they do things because that's the way he talked. Because his attitude about things is very all in. You know, it's like, all right, we're doing this, so I'm going to be all this, which is good. That that can be very, very useful at times. Yeah, that's the core yeah. of your team. Yeah, but <laughs> it led me to believe that, oh, Scrum was the thing. And I would get frustrated when people wouldn't do things when like, that's not the way it's supposed to be done until someone, actually our manager was like, we have to understand they, you know, you, you knew this before coming in. These guys just learned this like a week or two before you started. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Will had me learning this kind of stuff when I was, you know, training under him. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd all been like, it was brand new to him. And I'm like, oh, well, I shouldn't, like, I should be more lenient. And that's one of the things that people don't think about if you're trying to make that transition or if you're coming from a scrum environment to a new place that is making that transition, you may be used to having this all set up, but they don't. Well, and they have to learn from mistakes, which means they have to make them. Yeah. And you just need to be lenient on them. Well, it's not just being lenient. It's like literally looking at that as going, this is part of the process. Like this is necessary. Yeah. In fact, you might even do better to try to get them to the point of making mistakes quicker so that you can go ahead and get that learning over with. Well, that's the whole point of, of Agile, right? Oh, yeah, it is. seems fail, to be. Fail faster and more often. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I don't, you don't want to hear the bad Agile rant again. You know what? This, this kind of leads into the next point, which is not taking steps in a logical order. Yeah, if your whole system is a complete dumpster fire, your work isn't scoped, you have poor development practices like everybody pushes to master all the time and you don't have like continuous builds, any integration tests, no QA for months at a time. Hey, you're just assuming they, they have Git and they're not putting it on flash drives. Uh-huh. I feel safe-ish assuming that. Uh, but I know better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to mention that. Because... Um, but the thing about it is, is, if you're doing stuff in a bad way, Scrum is not going to fix that, right? Like, you can be bad enough that it does not get corrected. Mm -hmm. And the additional ceremonies of Scrum or any kind of process are going to create overhead. And if you're already kind of running to the line as it is, you're going to have to find some way to free up time, either by reducing responsibilities or um, adding personnel, or you're going to have to get more efficient. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's one of the things about it. And I like Scrum. I think done properly, it it's really good. Done improperly, it is worse than the worst waterfall. Well, it's like nuclear fission. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like done properly, yeah, it can light the world up. Done improperly, it can light the light world the up. the world up. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, no. What what I'm saying though is like I've seen it done properly and done improperly, and I've seen teams do things, move at paces where like their other teams in the same organization look at them and go, "You guys are rock stars. How are you doing it?" And it's just a bunch of you know average to above average developers. There's not a rock star on the team um, because I wasn't on the team. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I had to throw it oh, in there. Wow. <laughs> I had to throw it there in there. Oh, I couldn't have it. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm I'm just joking. I'm just learning to play guitar. I'm not a rock star yet. Uh, no. In all seriousness, though, I have seen teams who performed like rock stars because they were doing agile correctly, and I have seen teams of really good developers, above average developers perform terribly because they were doing it so poorly. Yeah, I actually read a uh, thread while I was researching this where a group of developers was basically saying, look, you know, what Agile is is a way to uh, say the best developers, you know, to basically push them down to mediocre. And while I don't think that's entirely true, I do think there is a kernel of truth in that, in that if you end up in an organization with bad practices like that, it doesn't matter how good you are. You can't overcome the inertia of a bad system. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the way I felt uh, when I was working in the hospitals and we switched over to EMR, uh, electronic medical records. Oh boy. I've heard so many stories on that. Because Not from you it, either. <laughs> yeah. It, it used to be you had a chart and you wrote out, like I would write a paragraph because I had, I was in graduate school learning how to do that sort of stuff. And like, not everyone else was. I actually got some of the utilization managers and doctors said stuff to my manager about how good my notes were. But I'm like, I only write these good notes because it's great practice for the stuff I have to write at school. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that said, when we switched over to EMR, it was like clicking buttons. It wasn't writing things down. So I like, is the patient feeling like, you know, one of the things we had to ask being at a psychiatric hospital, if the patient is suicidal, that was a yes or no. But if in the conversation with the patient, I might ask them if they're feeling suicidal and like, no, I'm not. But last night I was getting really sad about losing my kids. And I started to think that maybe I should end it all. But then this morning I got up and I realized, and I'm like, all right, I, in my notes, I could write down, Hey, you know, I could write that down because then the doctor could know, hey, nighttime is a bad time for them. We need to maybe work on it with them and focus on that. But with the EMR, all I could write down was, no, they're not suicidal right now. Well, and that kind of brings up another point about the uh, taking steps in a logical order thing, right? Yeah. If you have a piece of software that is supposed to manage your agile process, that software has a great deal of influence over how you implement that process the point where you lose data yeah, that may be really, really useful for your developers or useful for, you know, retrospectives or whatever, or for just understanding the specs that you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I was getting at is while it brought my charting down, the people who just wrote one or two lines and didn't ask all the questions they're supposed to ask it forced them to get better. Yeah. yeah. It pushed everyone towards a median regression towards the mean, so to speak. 
But those of us who were actually good, we found ways around it. We found, oh, hey, there's this like open notes thing that I can add a comment to it and stuff like that. Yeah. But fewer people were doing that, so they were get, still getting not as good from the good ones. Right. You know, the thing is, is a lot of times you you really need to have a bit of organization in place before you actually start Scrum. And you need to think a lot about your team topology, like org chart level. You need to think about responsibilities and those kind of things. For instance, if you have a daily standup, right, you're doing some variant that that has that in there. It's really ineffective and wasteful if, for instance, you're like, well, we're going to do a standup for everybody that reports to John. But John's the head of IT, and the network ops people report to him, the DBAs report to him, the developers report to him, and so does support. And everybody's telling what they did in the, the scrum with John. Well, that's great, but you know most people waste most of the time they're in there. And so if your organization is not set up in a way that lets you make an effective stand-up, you can't do it yet. Yeah. No, I mean, there is nothing better, speaking of stand-ups, that, like, there's nothing better than the simple phrase, we can talk about this after the meeting, just you and I. Yeah. Because like I, I used that yesterday in a meeting. Because it was like we have a we have a weekly meeting with the entire team and someone was asking me some specific questions because we were talking about the stuff, the tasks I was working on. They're asking some specific questions. I was like, hey, those are really good questions. We can talk about that after because you know, not everybody really cares. Like, it's not like, it's not like what I'm going to say is going to help all the developers be better developers. This is, you know, I didn't like discover something new. It's just, they're asking about how to connect to it. And I'm like, you and I can get on a call after this and talk about it. Yeah. Um, And that's just, guys, that is, you will make friends with that statement. Maybe not from the person asking you the questions, but everyone else on the team will love you for it. Trust me. And speaking of other people loving you on the team, trying to start into Scrum without management buy-in and understanding of what it actually is and does is an absolute disaster. The team probably can't implement Scrum unless the manager is on board with it, right? Like you're not going to sneak this one in. Mm-hmm. They also have to understand it to the degree that they are willing to learn more and they understand the basic principles of it. Yeah, there are a lot of managers out there who read about, maybe learn about it at a conference or a talk or in some business journal, decide that, hey, we need to start doing this, you know, get pumped up about it, but don't really know what it does. And I've actually seen this happen in places. Was that just me or were you there with me? was doing some consulting. I think it was both of us, but I, we were both doing a lot back then. It was before I started grad school. Um, it was after I got my Scrum Master. And uh, yeah, I went in and the it was a startup. The owner was not a developer, but was just all pumped about, we're going to start doing Scrum. I heard about this. Really need to do it. And you and I went in and like they had just, we're just asking them questions. And they had no idea what Scrum was. They just heard about it and like how it like improved efficiency and stuff. Yeah. I, like I said, I don't remember if you were there, if it was just me, but it was just like, I remember this conversation and I remember telling the person, I'm like, yeah, it does after about a year or two of moving into the process. Once you get there, it's great. Getting from here to there is going to be really slow and 
where you are very early on in your startup, that's going to cost you a lot. Yeah, because, well, you have a situation like it's like bringing an assembly line onto a factory floor that's not really had one. I mean, I'm sure Henry Ford and that bunch had this problem, right? Where it's like, we're going to rework our process, but they understood that the process is going to die while we're doing it Mm -hmm. for a little while. And a lot of management folks don't really get this. And they just kind of, they kick up some completely brain dead plan that they're going to implement Scrum and they, they don't know what it is. You really want them to understand it well enough before you even begin on it. Otherwise, it's actually going to create problems for you. The other thing is, is managers have to be open to learning about Scrum as they go along. They have to be able to learn from books, seminars, those kind of things, but they also have to be able to learn from experience. Uh, Your team is different than my team. That's across the board. You're not going to just someday see some magic process that fixes all the things for all the people, right? Like human beings have been around a very long time. We don't have a process like that. You know, I I remember when um, we were starting a new team and we were doing the, the team agreement and we said that our, our active hours would be nine to three. That's when all the team members would agree to be to be available. Because some would want some of us wanted to start earlier in the day and some wanted to start later. So we're like, all right, the the, the hours during the workday where we agree we will be available to one another is nine to three. And our upper one of our upper managers saw that and was like, no, I'm not going to sign off on this. You, you're not working eight hours. Right. And we're like, we had to explain like, no, some people work because of their other schedules and stuff. Some people work, you know, earlier in the day, like they, they start at 6 a.m. And some people don't want to start until nine. So we agreed, hey, these are the hours when the team, and we had to explain what a team agreement was to to her. But like, it was like, we are, we're going to work. Each of us individually are going to work a full day. It's just these hours are when we're all going to be working at the same time. So that's when we're going to schedule meetings. That's where we're going to be. It's like, all right, it's okay to get in touch with one another and stuff like that. Yeah. And I I just think that if managers are not willing to learn on the fly as they're going, Scrum is not for you. Because all it's going to do is create more meetings and process that don't provide value if, you, if you're not going to learn from your experience and from seeing how other people do their process. Yeah. Like, you're not going to just pick this up one day and say, hey, this is the thing. I'm going to run with it and we're all good. Mm-hmm. That never happens. Right. So, speaking of running with it, <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about problems with ongoing processes. These have to do with while you are in a scrum process. So the first one is not allowing the team to own the scrum process. So this goes back to the concept of scrum master should be a servant leader and not an overlord, but some people do. And so there's the term scrum lord. So Will has in here scrum lord versus scrum master. Yeah. I've worked at a number of companies where, for instance, they said, okay, the project manager is a, is a scrum master or the boss is the scrum master. Mm-hmm. And that really doesn't work in a collaborative sense. Like it's, it's two very different roles. Um, this is very much akin to saying, okay, the chief financial officer is also the external auditor. Like you would never have that in a Fortune 500 company because, well, 
if the CFO is stealing, he could say, no, he's not, you know, like it's, it's two roles that are at cross purposes. And so the same person cannot be in them. Yeah. Another thing is when they don't let the team adjust the process you know, as they go along. So for instance, uh, you have some consultant that comes in, there's lots of agile consultants, like literally if they were selling snake oil, we would be out of snakes by now. Thankfully they're not selling snake oil or whatever, but they're unfortunately they are selling agile. And a consultant comes in and they say, here's the one way to do this thing, right? And your management picks it up and they run with it for six months and it causes some kind of problem. Instead of learning from that problem and adjusting your process, you push back and go, no, this is the way we're going to do it. We're not changing. We're not letting the team adjust it. We're not going to even talk about it. What does that do? Mm -hmm. Well, it discourages the team and it makes them disengaged. And eventually what happens in your daily standups and in all your other processes along with that is the team does the minimum that they have to do to make you leave them alone. That is true. That is that is when you know you're you're not managing well. Now I will say this uh, about consultants because I have worked with some who were really good. I, I don't want to say all consultants are bad because I have worked with some who were like, like here's what I, here's the way I suggest doing it, and then we come back with, well, we've got these constraints, these issues with doing it that way. They're like, oh, okay. So it's like this place over here, they had something similar. So they, what they learned was to do it this way. And he's like, I can save you guys the time of making the mistakes and then learning by just trying it out their way first. That's a good consultant. Yeah. Well, an experienced consultant will do that. But it seemed like after about four or five years after the Agile Manifesto hit, there were a lot of agile consultants starting to pop up and they had read about it on a weekend and then they decided that they were going to teach it. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing that, oh, what's the the fitness thing? CrossFit. Oh, CrossFit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. It's the CrossFit of development practices, right? Like if you get a good CrossFit coach, they're real good. They'll help you be very, very strong. If you get a bad one that took a weekend class and now they're teaching it, you're going to get hurt. Yeah, that's that's very true. That's why I like some of the certification organizations because they they have a lot of different people putting putting effort into that. Now, another common anti-pattern that uh, you see is the concept of not having enough time to adjust practices because management doesn't understand the difference between refinement and indecision. If you can't adjust when there's a good reason to do so, you'll frustrate and basically drive off your good developers, creating a dead sea effect. Yeah, I've been in several organizations that did that where it's like, hey, we want to do this to improve the process, right? You go and you improve the process. And a little while later, you're like, well, these parts didn't work, but this other stuff did. We want to keep that. And you go to management with it. They go, no, we're not going to change that. Because you guys are always wanting to change stuff. And they push back and it's like, no, literally that would have made us you know, 50% more efficient to do it this other way. Mm-hmm. And you won't let us. And so all the developers who are engaged enough to be in this process now start putting their resumes out. And speaking of things that make people put their resumes out, um, another common anti-pattern is allowing the team to be overloaded. Too much work means that processes get rushed. And this leads to more work. 
the burnout cycle will eat your team alive. I, I've had this happen. I, I had it happen where I was on a team, we were moving along, and we had maybe two or three sprints worth of work left to do. They pulled us to help out another team who lost a developer. It was basically, hey, we're going to put you here and you here, and you guys are going to work for a month or so, get them, because they were like right at the end. They were going through testing. So it was just, you know, hey, spend a week or so familiarizing yourself with very similar code, doing very similar things, and then, you know, help out with any problem-solving issues QA, uh, QA comes up with during testing for a month or so, and then you'll come back. Well, in that time, the Scrum Master left. Found she found another job, and they put they hired another one and put her in there. She actually knew what she was doing and spent time like in the process of trying to understand what was going on. We came back, and we had I don't know maybe twenty story points. No, less than that. We had less than twenty story points when we left. We came back to over forty. Wow. Yeah. That's then management is going, well, you said you said back then that you only needed another two months to finish this. And we're like, back then we did. We got all these new requirements while we were gone. Yeah. The thing about the burnout is that I've worked at a couple of places where this has happened as well. And the way it usually manifests is everybody gets more and more stressed. And then there's one dude who just has enough and quits. Mm hmm. And his work falls on the next person. And it's like this cascade effect. And I mean, you could wipe a team out in two or three months with one of these. It is unbelievably destructive and expensive. And a lot of managers just don't really see it coming because they don't realize how badly overloaded people are. I've also seen another lovely fun pattern uh, that really overloads teams in a bad way. And that's where they try to do this concurrent sprint thing. I, I call it that because it's not, just that it's concurrent, but it's like they decide that the sprint start and end times move. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, we're starting a new sprint Monday. Well, we kind of had this other thing come up and it's really going to be Thursday, right? And you start the new sprint and it's supposed to go for three weeks, but well, it's really going to go for two weeks because we want to have this thing out because the sales guy already sold something that we don't have. And oh, you get to the end of that and like half the development team is ready to move on to the next sprint, but these guys are still working on this other thing. So we're going to say that that half the team is in one sprint and half is in another because we got a lot of ceremony around that. And we don't understand like, you know, kind of delivering on a continual basis. We're like, oh, we do testing after a sprint's over. So we're going to almost play like accounting games with the, with the developers. Um, it's kind of a failure mode, honestly. And what this will do is not only confuse everybody, but bugs slip through. Team members get burnt out. Nobody knows when anything's going to get delivered. And it, it makes you kind of lose face with the rest of the company. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a failure mode that happens a lot of times when sales is driving the development team's efforts. Like, I get that your sales team's important and that they uh, bring in the money, but they can't be allowed to dictate timelines to the development team. No. Fighting fires, too, um, and not adjusting your workload is going to burn out your best people. I mean, this happened to me uh, a few years back. Uh, it'll also result in more mistakes, which cause more fires. They were expecting a certain pace and then pulling me off to go do other things and expecting me to keep that pace. And 
I was getting burnt out and I was getting like really stressed out. I mean, you remember when I was going through this. Yeah. And um no, I, I had to I had to say something about it. And like we we actually ended up moving away from Scrum. We're still in the agile world, more of a Kanban thing now. But we moved away from Scrum and it it's helped the team. There is much higher team morale not doing Scrum. Yeah, I like Kanban. We weren't in a we weren't in a place where we could do Scrum effectively. I just hate all the estimating. Yeah. It's like, oh, I think this will take this amount of time. It's like, you don't have any idea. Yeah. It's not like I can just go, oh, Google Maps, tell me how long it's going to take to get to Chattanooga. It's like, how long is it going to take for me to do nuclear fusion? Well, I don't know. Nobody's done that on purpose. You know, like that. And that's what most of your software dev processes are at some level is there's just a lot of uncertainty. And so I, I feel like the estimation thing is a real problem. Mm-hmm. The The whole thing of fighting fires, you know, with workload on top of it, developers have gotten to the point, a lot of them, by the time they're senior, if they didn't burn out, you know, they'll pad their estimates. I mean, I, I sandbag the crap out of estimates for people that act this way. Yeah, I'm like, I think I can get it done in a day, but I'm going to tell them it's a week because I'm not going to come in on the downside of this thing and get blamed when it misses a delivery schedule because they you know, they cram more crap in there. And I mean, this is, this is stuff that I'm, I'm working with now because I've got like other upper management that aren't my direct manager who are sending me messages going, how long do you think it'll take to do this? And I finally had to say something. Well, it, it got said in a meeting and my director was like, Hey, no, I don't, I don't want my developers answering that question. They do not have enough information. Like they haven't even looked into it. Like you're just now telling them about this project. They can't tell you how long it's going to take to build it because they don't know what all is involved. They don't know what it needs to connect to. They don't know what resources they need. They do not know enough to do that based on the information in one meeting. And I was like, he gained a lot of respect for me when he said that. Um, Because I was about to say the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) It's better for somebody higher up to say that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have a lot of respect from... From the other directors, because I, you know, I do come in and I work hard and stuff like that. But when my director said that, I'm like, all right, well, that was what I was going to say. I think I'll just have a Coke then. (laughs) I'll just sit back and let you take care of it. I'm not, you know, I'm not not quite used to to that. I I appreciate that. But yeah, it was it was really cool to to hear that. Yeah. Now, the, the last thing here under ongoing processes is backlog stupidity. Constant shifts in priority over time periods shorter than the sprint basically mean that estimates are a complete waste of time. I mean, for the most part, they are anyway, but uh, that and the focus will be discouraged. I know when, when we were doing Scrum, that was a big thing with us. If the priority shifted, if and it happened. Legislation came down and what we were working on was no longer important. They had other priorities. We stopped the sprint right then. Yeah. That's what should happen if priorities shift. That brings into a effect another prerequisite, and that is actually having an appropriate branching structure in your source control system so that you can do that. Yeah. Because if everybody's pushing to master, I mean, I've been in places that did that. Right. Where it's like, oh, you're done. Push it to master. The next guy, you know, we'll just get the updates and we're just going to be working on a, a single copy. Well, that's great until you have to kill a sprint. Yeah. 
And all of a sudden you've got to go through the commit history and like cherry pick out stuff that you're going to need versus stuff that you're not. And it's, it, it leads to a resistance to doing the organizational processes in the right way because you did your code processes in the wrong way. Yeah, I can see that. Now, you know, one thing that you don't have on here that I have seen, and this is really, really big, and that is starting stories, like starting work on sprints and stories without acceptance criteria. Oh, yeah, but that's half a tech. <laughs> I mean, it's like, that's not even a scrum thing. That's just like, you know, that's the difference between common mistakes of truck drivers and common mistakes of drunk drivers. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, this is really, you would, you would think that, but you would be surprised. Well, you no, wouldn't, wouldn't, but <laughs> you, as in the listener, would be surprised at how many teams will start a project and write the acceptance criteria along the way. Now, there, there have been times where, We've made adjustments to them where it was like, all right, we get in there and hey, what you're asking us to do is not it's it's not possible within the system or it's not gonna work well with the system. Here's the consequences of that. And they go, Crackhead made this entity relationship model. Yeah, yeah. And they go, Okay, well, we can make an adjustment to that. And you know, there's that is making an adjustment, but no, I literally have seen teams and you know, we've had friends who were very new to development in like their first jobs who were like, they left that job because they were expected to build things, not knowing what they were supposed to build. Yep. Uh, been there, done that. I got pulled onto a team to help them out one time. And that was a big thing. And it was because they had a BA who had no training as a scrum master and was just going, well, you know, it's just this, you just, you just need to build it. And it's like, no, if I don't know what to build, we don't have acceptance criteria. I don't know what to build. QA doesn't know what to test. So I might build something. You know, it's, it, she's like, well, it's, it's so simple. It's just this. There's that word just. Yeah. But just it's like, is another four letter word. Yeah. Like it's, it's just uploading this form. I'm like, yeah, but if we don't have acceptance criteria, what I put in the code and what QA is expecting are not going to match. That's, that's our point. Like, that's what the API developer, the UI developer, QA, everybody goes to that. That's our our one our one source, you know, of truth on this. We go to that. If if they say, hey, you didn't do it, and I'm like, yes, I did, we go back to that. And if we don't have that, then we can't me versus them. Like, no, I'm not gonna play that. And I well, it's a handshake contract it. at that point, yeah. right? Like it's you know, the way that I have characterized that to people is go, would you buy a house? And your contract be a handshake. You give them the money and they give you the keys. Mm-hmm. Like, are you willing to do that for, let's say, I don't know, let's say a hundred thousand dollar house, right? And they go, well, no, I wouldn't do that. That's crazy. And you're like, but you're willing to take a 20 person developer team on a year long project without anything more substantial than that. Yeah. Which is probably not a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. I'm just, Saying, I don't know a whole lot of developers making 5K a year. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I don't know any because I would be employing them. Um, <laughs> even if they were terrible, I could probably just get them to throw enough resources at something to fix it. You know, like it's a, it's just not, it's just not how things work. Now, I will also say too, when you don't adequately prioritize the work, what you end up doing is you waste a lot of time in context switching. Mm-hmm. So that's another 
aspect of that. It's not just, hey, here's what to work on, but what is actually going to move the business forward, you know, in the near term? Like what what are some quick wins we can get? What are some things we can do that will actually help so that we're in a better position to do the other things? Oh yeah, this goes beyond Scrum. Like right now I'm on three projects. On one, I am not really a consultant, but I'm just like, I'm available to help out, to answer questions and stuff. On another, it's in testing and I'm dealing with bugs as they come up. And on the other one, I'm the primary developer. And sometimes I've had weeks where they all three needed my attention. And I had to say to my boss, I'm like, all right, you got to tell me what's my priority this week. Yeah. Like, you know, that doesn't mean I won't get to the other things, but I'm going to do my priority first. And I'm not going to let the other things interfere with it. So I'm like, I need you to tell me. You're the boss. You tell me where where is my priority? And we have a really good relationship where I can I can just tell him that, and he's like, "All right, I want you to focus on this one this week because we really got to get this piece out." You know, and it it changes week to week because uh, I've been doing this for about two or three months now. Three different. Well, it's added up to three over the last couple of months, but yeah, it's been today. I was working on each all three of them today, like a phone call, a few emails, and some coding. It's, it's, it was, it's fun. I'm, yeah. But yeah, having that priority, having them say, this is, this is what your focus is. I could literally say to someone, I'm like, Hey, I will get to this, but I'm not going to do it right away because my priority is this other thing. And the great thing is most people you work with respect that. Yeah. Cause they know when their stuff gets to be priority, it will be priority. Exactly. And speaking of the whole priority thing, overly lar- large, uh, backlogs make things extremely hard to find. Mm-hmm. Now, what tends to happen with this is the management team is filling crap in in the backlog and that is exposed to the developer. Yeah. Right? Like, they need a bucket for their ideas. That's fine. Just don't put it in front of the developers because we've got to be able to sort through and find what we've got to work on. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's also really intimidating when you see, hey, there's 5,000 items in our backlog. I mean, it's not like it's, you know, show ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, there's, there's only like 000. 300 something yeah uh, uh and it, it's it's a different thing but like we do we have a backlog for ideas yeah well we have a similar problem here too right because a lot of stale ideas or ideas that you've looked at multiple times they get in there multiple times if you have a big enough backlog you're not going to see them yeah that's why i search before i put a new one in yeah maybe you don't i don't know I just don't even put them in. I'm not going to call you out on that, but you know. I don't put them in. So you don't even have to worry. I know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the final set of problems we're going to talk about uh, in this episode is problems with reporting. Oh, my goodness. So before we get into this really quickly, we used to have to do weekly reports at work. And I don't mind them because I have my, my notebook where I write things down. Like I have my my to-do list every day. And I just pulled directly from that. I guess it was about two or three weeks ago. I kept getting like, what's the status of this? What's the status of this? What have you done on this from multiple different people? Because upper management was about to have a meeting. And so when my manager sent me a request for, for an update, I was like, all right, here it is. But I really need you to run interference for me because I haven't been able to work all day long because I've been answering questions about it. And so he's like, all right, I'll look into it. And now we're doing status reports again once a week. We send it to him and then he sends it out to all the other managers before the meetings. Yeah. It makes such a difference. No joke. So the first thing under here is 
none or not enough standups. Right. So I've seen companies that are like, well, we'll do standups, but we're not going to do them every day because we think it's a waste of time, usually because they're mismanaging the standup, right? Like it ends up being an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And when you have these kind of processes, you know, that you have in development, you really do need pretty regular check-ins with the team to make sure that people aren't stuck, to talk through problems and solutions and side effects of the things you're doing, and just to get everybody on the same page. Plus, if you don't have regular checkups, you're always going to have one or two developers who don't do their work and then try to, to basically treat it like cramming for an exam and do it right at the end of the sprint. And they'll try to do two weeks worth of work in three days because they've been goofing off. I mean, you'll, mm-hmm. you'll have that in some companies. And so you almost want that regular reporting process so that that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Another thing is sometimes they'll, they'll bring them down to get more work time. And this works for a while, but eventually the drift in understanding will cost more time than the actual meeting. And it depends on how you do it. Like when we were doing Scrum, we did daily standups and it wasn't the whole organization. We did a once a week meeting with the whole organization. It was just your team. So like five, like your Scrum team. So like five developers at max. Usually it was two developers and a QA and maybe a DBA if you had one, if you had more database stuff. But yeah, so on the teams I was on, those didn't last more than about 15 minutes. On the teams I wasn't on, some of them lasted quite a while. I remember I got pulled onto one team to help out when a developer left. We hadn't hired his replacement yet. And that was the first thing I did. I was just like, hey, this can be taken offline. The operations and the DBA got into a debate about something. I'm like, guys, this is not important. I don't care. You guys can have this conversation offline. Like, yeah, we just, we don't, no, the rest of the team does not need to know that. Or like the, I think the QA also started asking some questions. I'm like, that's cool. I will answer your questions for you offline. The rest of the team doesn't care. Yeah, I've had that. And I've also had the thing where I got pulled into somebody else's team where there were personalities in there that were just running the stand up just completely in wild directions. Yep. Not even on work stuff. And like, mm-hmm. you know, somebody asked me, they're like, well, how did it go? And I'm like, look, I'm trying to find a way to not be blunt about this, but let me just say that I'm usually the bad example on the team. And today I felt like I was an angel and you probably want to fix that. (laughs) You know, when I'm not the loose cannon, like (laughs) that's, that's real bad. Like I should probably be about the worst you tolerate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I would tolerate you on my team, but you know, (laughs) yeah, likewise. (laughs) It's only because you trained me not to tolerate you. You did. You trained me well. I pushed you on that kind of stuff to go, no, we're not doing it this way because that's dumb. And there's a reason for that. It's because I was literally experiencing dumb (laughs) when I was training you. The main replacement for stand-ups is random interruptions by management. And this destroys focus. It destroys morale. There's just, there's no alternative to regular communication. However you implement that, it doesn't have to be with a stand-up, but you need that regular communication. That's what I was talking about with uh, the status reports. We'd stopped doing it. There was there was a once-a-week meeting, but they were wanting, like, we weren't talking about what we did on the project. We were just saying, all right, hey, I'm moving this project forward. This is kind of where I'm at on it. This is how much I have left to do. 
or this is who's working on what, but there wasn't a whole lot of that because that would take forever. And a lot of it can literally be done in an email. Yeah. You know, if you There's don't a lot need, of meetings, it should be emails. Yeah. Anyway, this is a rule. Like it should be an email first. And speaking of meetings, it should be emails. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or Slack messages or hallway conversations or just conversations that don't happen. Uh, standups with the wrong people in them or the wrong people talking in them are another very common anti-pattern. If you have too many people in the standup or you have people that really don't belong there, like say a lot of upper management folks that aren't technical, and I mean recent technical, right? Like that's great that you worked on VAX in 1989. I don't care. You're not in my standup. No. Like unless you've done something recently that's relevant to the tech team or you have information that's useful to them, you don't need to be there. You know, it's funny. I was in a, we have a weekly meeting with a third party as the app that I'm writing right now is a interface for them. And um, they requested a meeting between the developers and they're like, no business people. Like the guy requesting it was a business person. And he's like, I'm not going to be there. Like I literally just want our developers to sit down and have a conversation because they got to, it's a connection issue thing. He's like, I think we're too much other stuff is going on. He's like, I just want 30 minutes to an hour of just both, both sets of devs sitting down talking and no management, no business people, just developers. If they yeah. need someone from business, they'll pull us in. Yeah, that's very, very wise. Um, yeah. And you also see this where you have multiple teams with completely different responsibilities and you go, well, they all have the same manager, so they should all be in the same standup. No, they shouldn't. The manager has time if he's managing multiple teams to have multiple meetings for that. Like, don't waste everybody's time. That time is very expensive. I've been on team meetings that had 25 people in them. And you know, you're going around the room talking about what you did that day. Yeah. And like, literally, you're the only one on your project. Nobody cares about it. You don't care about any of the other things. And you're in there for an hour. The, the way I always end those, by the way, is I go, hey, let's say that everybody's getting paid 50K, right? And we know that most of the developers, it's above that, right? In most cities. Mm -hmm. But let's say everybody's getting paid 50K. We wasted an hour of time. 50K is about $25 an hour. So we have 20 people in here. How much did this meeting cost? And you talk about like not having that meeting again next week. <laughs> I think I told you Cody got um, got hired out of the um, kind of got promoted and hired out of the tech area to the business side where he's doing like business uh, solutions stuff huh. working with like he's he's kind of the liaison role between the tech, you know, the IT department and the business side. They asked me to come to a meeting to answer some questions. I inadvertently taking over the meeting because I'm the primary developer on this project on our side of it. And I answered their questions for the, the third party. Like actually it was just myself and their developer talking for about 10, 15 minutes. And though that, that was it. That was the whole meeting. They'd scheduled like an hour and a half or something for it. We got off and I got a message from Cody. He's like, you don't know how many thousands of dollars you just saved me by coming to this meeting. <laughs> yeah, I do. You get me lunch. <laughs> yeah, that's what I told him. <laughs> <laughs> We're not playing that developer's dumb about money thing. No, uh -uh. I want some chicken tendies right here. 
Yeah, I was like, when this mess is over and we're back in the office, you're going to take me out to lunch. He's like, yeah. that's fair. I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'll buy you a steak dinner if you want. That was that's that was good. So. Well, and speaking about keeping costs in line, um, you also need to make sure and limit how long people can talk in a stand-up. Um, because some mm-hmm. people will go on about minutia forever just so that they can look busy. Yeah, They'll hurt the whole team doing this. I worked with a guy and he'd be like, well, I, I created a variable for this. And then the next thing I did is I looped over the array uh, using that variable as an iterator. And, it, I mean, and you're like, I don't care. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, this isn't CS101. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, why am I in here? <laughs> like, what did I do in a past life that inflicted me with you? <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. Um, yeah. And so you do really have to crack down on that and go, look, you have you know, a minute, minute and a half. Here's an egg timer. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. Sometimes it's literally you you need that time or even more to explain what you're doing or why you're stuck on something, but you don't need to go into the details of the code because no one cares. I have had it where I'm like, no one really cares about the details here, so I'm just going to skip over it. And like someone said, well, I care. I'm like, all right, well, you and I can talk after the meeting. I don't want to waste meeting time on that. I have a that's architect a really good where thing. I work that's very good about that. And yeah. He's extremely patient with very tedious questions about AWS Lambda and Elasticsearch. Oh, that's awesome. That's wonderful, man. Yeah, because he has to deal with me all the time. <laughs> so finally, is the inability to concretely express what has been completed. Talking about, <laughs> we were just kind of talking about that, weren't we? Uh, a lot of businesses have Scrum-ish, Scrum-like, scrum but processes with standups and meetings that don't actually give useful information to management. You want hard numbers and actual data. This is why we, when, when we were doing it, we were very specific, done doing impedes. That was it. And you'll have people that go, well, I worked on, you know, whatever yesterday. Tomorrow they go, I worked on whatever. And, you know, it's like, look, if you're saying same crap different day and that's your standup message, you're not you clearly don't have a good process there because you can't say, well, I got this done and I'm working on this. Mm -hmm. And that makes it really hard on anybody having to manage that project all the way up. And so somebody is going to absolutely drop the hammer on you at some point if you let that go on. And they tend to hit the whole team versus the one or two people that are the problem. Yeah, they need to, like, like I was saying, they need to be able to tell you those three things. And if they can't, you have to press them until they do. I would not suggest doing this in a public meeting. Like, although it's fun. (laughs) Honestly, at the end of the meeting, someone needs to be able to relay the results of the meeting to management. And and here's the thing: like, you know, it's supposed to be a self-driven team and stuff, but management is going to want. They have management who's like, all right, what's the status of this? And again, it goes back to that status reports. But it's it's very useful for them if you can go, all right. Here's what our team worked on. You don't have to say who worked on what or who got how much work done. That's going to vary day to day, week to week. But you say, here's what our team did today. Here's what our team is working on. Here's what our team did yesterday. Here's what our team is working on today. And yeah, here's the, the roadblocks. So-and-so is working on them. Or I need your help working on this roadblock. That kind of thing. Should be the scrum master, really, who does this. So that's part of their role. But there should be at least someone who does it if they delegate that out. So guys, Scrum is a very helpful process, but is more harmful than not 
when it's done badly. There isn't a real fix for a lot of these problems other than avoiding them in the first place. Uh, Scrum done well can be very helpful, but you have to watch for some of the pitfalls if you want to work well for your organization. That pretty much wraps us up before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, for all the people wondering why we have yet another anti-patterns episode, uh, there's a reason for this. And it's not because it's purely negative. One of the best ways to learn about best practices is to look for anti-patterns because that is how the best practices get created is to avoid the anti-patterns and the downsides of whatever you're doing. A lot of these problems really can't be fixed you know, very easily. You know, what you can do is you, you can avoid them. And, and so that's why we start talking about anti-patterns because that lets you notice the problem before it's a problem versus, oh crap, stuff blew up. Well, yeah, you know you have a problem, stuff blew up, but stuff blew up. Consultants a lot of times will push practices on you that may or may not be the best practices, but a lot of times they really are not very good about telling you why. Anti-patterns will tell you why and what you're trying to avoid. So that's the reason we do so many episodes on anti-patterns. It's not because we're, you know, mean curmudgeons, although we are. It's that... Well, speak for yourself. Okay, fine. I'm a curmudgeon. But... There's a method in the madness there. And if you start looking at new things, like when you go look at new technology, the first Google query you should do after you go, what is this thing? Is whatever it is sucks. Mm -hmm. Because that will tell you more about that system than anything on the people's blogs that are positive about it. It'll tell you what's being ignored, what the problems are, how you get around them, those kind of things. Go at it from that angle. You won't have to deal with that when it blows up later. So that's why we're doing it. That's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.